of Kofi Annan, the former Secretary General to the United Nations. I'm going to narrate his General Assembly annual report from September 20th, 1999. On this occasion, I shall like to address the prospects for human security and intervention in the next century. In light of the dramatic events of the past year, I trust that you will understand this decision. As Secretary General, I have made it my highest duty to restore the United Nations to its rightful role in the pursuit of peace and security and to bring it closer to the peoples it serves. As we stand at the brink of a new century, this mission continues. But it continues in a world transformed by geopolitical, economic, technological, and environmental changes whose lasting significance still eludes us. As we seek new ways to combat the ancient enemies of war and poverty, we will succeed only if we all adapt our organization to a world with new actors, new responsibilities, and new possibilities for peace and progress. State sovereignty, in its most basic sense, is being redefined by the forces of globalization and international cooperation. The state is now widely understood to be the servant of its people and not vice versa. At the same time, individual sovereignty, and by this I mean the human rights and fundamental freedoms of each and every individual as enshrined in our charter, has been enhanced by a renewed consciousness of the right of every individual to control his or her own destiny. These parallel developments, remarkable and in many ways welcome, do not lend themselves to easy interpretations or simple conclusions. They do, however, demand of us a willingness to think anew about how the United Nations responds to the political, human rights, and humanitarian crises affecting so much of the world, about the means employed by the international community in situations of need, and about our willingness to act in some areas of conflict while limiting ourselves to humanitarian palliatives in many other crises whose daily toll of death and suffering ought to shame us into action. Our reflections on these critical questions derive not only from the events of the last year, but from a variety of challenges that confront us today, most urgently in East Timor. From Sierra Leone to the Sudan, to Angola, to the Balkans, to Cambodia, and to Afghanistan, there are a great number of peoples who need more than just words of sympathy from the international community. They need a real and sustained commitment to help their cycles of violence and launch them on a safe passage to prosperity. While the genocide in Rwanda will define for our generation the consequences of inaction in the face of mass murder, the more recent conflict in Kosovo has prompted important questions about the consequences of action in the absence of a complete unity on the part of the international community. It has cast in stark relief the dilemma of what has been called humanitarian intervention. On one side, 
the question of the legitimacy of an action taken by a regional organization without a United Nations mandate. On the other, the universally recognized imperative of effectively halting gross and systematic violations of human rights with grave humanitarian consequences. The inability of the international community in the case of Kosovo to reconcile these two equally compelling interests, universal legitimacy and effectiveness in defense of human rights, can only be viewed as a tragedy. It has revealed the core challenge to the Security Council and to the United Nations as a whole in the next century. To forge unity behind the principle that massive and systematic violations of human rights, wherever they may take place, should not be allowed to stand. The Kosovo conflict and its outcome have prompted a wide debate of profound importance to the resolution of conflicts from the Balkans to Central Africa to East Asia. And to each side in its critical debate, difficult questions can be posed. To those for whom the greatest threat to the future of international order is the use of force in the absence of a Security Council mandate, one might ask, not in the context of Kosovo, but in the context of Rwanda. If, in those dark days and hours leading up to the genocide, a coalition of states had been prepared to act in defense of the Tutsi population, but didn't receive prompt council authorization, should such a coalition have stood aside and allowed the horror to unfold? To those for whom the Kosovo action heralded a new era when states and groups of states can take military action outside the established mechanisms for enforcing international law, one might ask, is there not a danger of such interventions undermining the imperfect, yet resilient security system created after the Second World War and of setting dangerous precedents for future interventions without a clear criterion to decide who might invoke these precedents and in what circumstances? Mr. President, in response to this turbulent era of crises and interventions, there are those who have suggested that the Charter itself with its roots in the aftermath of global interstate war, is ill-suited to guide us in a world of ethnic wars and interstate violence. I believe they are wrong. The Charter is a living document whose high principles still define the aspirations of peoples everywhere for lives of peace, dignity, and development. Nothing in the Charter precludes the recognition that there are rights beyond borders. Indeed, its very letter and spirit are the affirmation of those fundamental human rights. In short, it isn't the deficiencies of the Charter which have brought us to this juncture, but our difficulties in applying its principles to a new era. An era when strictly traditional notions of sovereignty can no longer do justice to the aspirations of peoples everywhere to attain their fundamental freedoms. The sovereign states who drafted the Charter over half a century ago were dedicated to peace but experienced in war. They knew the terror of conflict but knew equally that there are times when the use of force may be legitimate in the pursuit of peace. That is why the Charter's own words declare that, quote-unquote, armed force shall not be used, saving the common interest. 
But what is that common interest? Who shall define it? Who will defend it? Under whose authority? And with what means of intervention? These are the monumental questions facing us as we enter the new century. While I will not propose specific answers or criteria, I shall identify four aspects of intervention which I believe hold important lessons for resolving future conflicts.